welcome to Lifespan Live with your host, Eugene Ardino. Hello everyone, I'm Eugene Ardino, the Chief Executive of Lifespan Financial Planning and welcome to our Lifespan Live podcast series where we discuss key issues for advice businesses, everything from technical and compliance, practice development, regulatory change, opportunities, soft skills and marketing. Today I'm joined by Lifespan Senior Financial Planner Robert Ross and together we'll look at the challenges and opportunities for the advice industry in 2021. Welcome Robert. Thank you Eugene. It's great to be able to say that we will soon have a year of COVID-19 behind us. As an advice professional, what challenges do you foresee in 2021? Yeah, thanks Eugene, it's a great question. Um, You know, as everyone knows, it's been an extremely challenging year, something I've never been through before in my life and something most advisors probably never have. Um, They told me in 2008 that it was a once in a 150 year event, but I think they lied to me. I think we're here again. So um, as I see it, um, I'm fortunately um, probably better off than a lot of advisors. Um, that I've already got a master's in financial planning and I've, I've passed the FASEA exam, but you know, there's many that won't be quite so fortunate. So I think you're gonna find a lot of um, advisors are gonna get a hurdle that's way too high for them to, to actually meet. I was reading the other day about a, um, a director of a big financial planning business that started practicing in 1974. And um, you know, he, he's done the twice as amount of CPD points as anyone else in the firm. He's He's got a wealth of knowledge dealing with every sort of experience and um, he's just not going to meet that hurdle. So he's got to exit the industry, which I get that they're trying to make us more professional, but they're not acknowledging the people and the skills that have already been in the industry. So, you know, I think that's going to hurt a lot of us. Absolutely. And, and look, it's a lot of advisors are taking it a little bit personally and, and I don't blame them after having decades of experience, no blemishes, being forced to, to sit exams and, and go back and do study, much of which is not relevant to some advisors, particularly those who specialise in certain areas. So it's really unfortunate and as a result we're seeing an enormous amount of really good quality experience exit the industry, which is going to sort of kind of rob the industry of a lot of possible mentoring uh, capacity. So you know, have a, all these new entrants come in and you know what normally happens when there's transition is you know the the older more experienced people hang around for a while to mentor incoming practitioners and we're just not going to have as anywhere near as as much as as you would hope the number of advisors has gone from about 29,000 to about 21,000 in less than 2 years yeah wow um, and i and i read somewhere that the the long term average for financial plans is about 24 25,000 so we're already 15% below the long-term average. So it is one of the big challenges that the industry faces. And for advisors themselves having who've made the decision that they are gonna try and stick it out, where do you find the time, you know? A lot of this really is coming out of people's personal time. And for those that also have families, young families, it's a real challenge. And I've seen much younger people that are nowhere near retirement age exit just because they, they, they just can't, it's too, it's too big a bridge for them to put in that extra time to do seven or eight subjects plus an exam. So, so it's a real shame. Mm. What else, Robert, do you well, think? Well, I think the, the thing that you touched on is in having to do the exam and so on. I think one of the main concerns I have for, for people that are going to sit it is, as you mentioned, there's people that we're losing a lot of the depth that we've had in the industry. So people that have been there 20, 30 years. 
and they just haven't experienced those exam conditions that a lot of younger people have had. So how are they? Time. Yeah. yeah. So how are they going to cope with that when they're sitting on a three-hour FASIA exam? When you know, when I sat it, there was two people that left the room before the exam was finished. So, you know, I was in the first round, there was a hundred and something of us in the room, two people finished and the rest of us used all of the time. How someone, and you know, I have my master's degree in the last eight years. I mean, so I'm used to exams. How's someone going to cope with that that's not? It's tough. I did mine uh, a few weeks ago as well. I haven't got the result yet, yeah. knock on wood, but um, I felt pretty good about it. But I needed, I think I, I finished with less than 10 minutes to go. Yeah. So I used that time to review. But um, so that's that's a major challenge, mm-hmm. um, and I think the number of advisors exiting the industry is going to exit is going to accelerate as we get closer and closer to some of these deadlines. But moving on from that, one of the other big challenges for the industry um, is the provision of life insurance. Yeah, agreed. And I think um, what we've seen in the um, Royal Commission and so on has 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 brought that right out to 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 all the advisors. That I mean, it, it's. I started in financial planning as an advisor in uh, probably 2003. Um, So I've been an advisor 17 odd years now. And when I first started advising, I could never work out how the life insurance companies were paying us 120% of the first year's premium. And that's what we got as commission. I mean, it was obviously clawed back if the client left within the first two years. Um, But we've seen in 2018 that reduced to 88%. We've seen in 2019 that reduced to 77%. 2020, we're now sitting at 66%. And, you know, there's talk of it, they, they actually want it to reduce to zero. Um, many of my clients, um, especially younger people that have got families and mortgages, can't afford to pay that out of their own pockets. So they're looking to use their superannuation. And we point that out that the, the I guess, the effect that's going to have on their superannuation over time that they're going to erode that much more quickly, which they're happy to do so because it suits a purpose now. But the thing is, if clients aren't happy to pay out of their own pocket, what are we going to do when we actually get the insurers not paying for our time, so we have to pass it on to the clients with money they don't currently have? Are they? Are we going to get a whole thing of underinsurance? It's just going to exacerbate an already pretty serious, uh, according to Rice Warren, this is a few years ago, they estimated the underinsurance gap to be about $2 trillion. And the underinsurance in terms of insurance payouts and what ends up falling into the realms of welfare is four, five, six billion dollars a year. Yeah. So there already is an enormous underinsurance problem. And this is only going to exacerbate it because by cutting commissions in half and possibly closer to zero, the only people that will be able to get insurance advice are those who have the capacity or have the will to want to pay for it. And the reality of life is um, people generally don't want to talk about insurance. It's something that um, they need to be reminded of. Dare I say it's sold, not bought. So it's a real problem and it's a problem for advisors to some extent. But as I've said in the past, advisors can just restructure their business. They basically have to make a decision that clients at a certain level are either charged a fee or they don't get advice. Mm. The real loser out of this is the consumer. And, and this is one of, the, one of the challenges that both advisors face, but also consumers. Yeah. Moving on from that. So, you well, know, can I, I just say an interesting yeah. thing I read was um, recently that 
I guess a life insurance advisor is defined by 50% of their fees come from commission. And recently there was as much as 35% in the advice space, which has lately reduced to 15%. So you can see how many people are actually getting out of that space. Yeah. And especially when we look at COVID and the you know people working from home, having less interaction with people. Um, Pre-COVID, mental illness um, stats show that 20% of people will suffer mental illness in one year and 45% of people will suffer it in a lifetime. Yeah. And of those affected by mental illness, 54% of them do not access treatment. Yeah, right. So and, it's, and it's terrible. It yeah. is. And and often what you get if you don't have your own insurance arrangements in place is, is grossly inadequate. Mm. Better than nothing, but mm. it's grossly inadequate. So it's very sad. And you know, having a funding mechanism in place so people can get the right... Look, there are a lot of people out there that want to buy advice. I mm. would say the vast majority of people don't want to buy advice. But even those who do, they can't get advice on in a cost-effective way on, on what insurance they need and how much. They're often going to end up with products that are disappointing and they're often going to end up being underinsured. Yeah. So there's a lot of problems with this. Or with their default insurance inside a industry super fund. Yeah, yeah. which is generally inadequate. Yeah. So there are a lot of problems with this. Look, some of the other challenges that we face, finding quality advisors as an employer. I said earlier that the number of advisors is plummeting. It's dropped down to about 21,000 um, and, and it's falling each quarter. It has slowed down a little bit according to advisor ratings reports, but you'll, you'll probably see an acceleration into end of financial year and then when, when the FASIA exam deadline comes up at the end of uh, 2021 calendar year. Since the, the FASIA reform started almost two years ago, there have been less than 50 new advisors each year and something like 8,000 have, have exited. So there's a pretty big imbalance there. And FASIA tell us that there's just under 1,000 advisors who are currently studying and approved, uh, are in the process of doing an approved degree. So, you know, we're not seeing an influx, anything close to the, the volume of, uh, that we would need to, to replace some of the ones that are exiting. Uh, and that's gonna provide quite a challenge if you're an employer looking to expand particularly because demand for advice is actually going up. Mm. Uh, COVID has helped to accelerate that. But just generally speaking, people's circumstances and, and tax considerations and superannuation rules all continue to, to get more and more complex. Yeah. The um, other thing to that is, Eugene, is um, the, I think the problem with people entering the industry is you've got advisors that are exiting with 30 years experience of providing financial advice and you've got someone that has got you know, is brand new to the industry that you could actually, you know, is someone that's got their life savings that just retired going to give their whole portfolio to someone that's in their first year of yeah. being out of university? It's a good point. It's yeah. a really good point, you know. So so there's there's going to be a shortage of, of advisors and, and this is going to be a real challenge for, for advice businesses but also for consumers. Another big challenge for the advice industry and, and advisors in particular over the next year or so is... Given the, the number of AFSLs that have closed their doors, forcing their authorised reps to find a new home, a lot of these advisors have been put in a position where they've had to make a, a pretty quick decision on a new licensee. And by the time they get there, sometimes they've found, they'll find that the experience doesn't quite meet their needs. So there, there could be uh, a lot of advisors having to, to pop their heads up again and and see and review their circumstances and see what else is out there, which is you know a fairly disruptive exercise. It's something that that you'd like to not have to do too often, uh, and it's also costly. So so that's that's one of the challenges. And then look, the other big, very obvious one 
uh, is implementing changes to regulation from the Royal Commission. We, we all got a bit of a breather this year due to COVID, but you know things like annual opt-in and, 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 and many other uh, recommendations that the government is looking to legislate are likely to, to become law in the new year. And these are all things that on top of everything else, you've got to do as an advisor. You have to work these into your business and make sure that you're ready to comply. And as a licensee, you know, we're, there, we're out there providing training and, and resources to be able to do this. But you know, these are all things that advisors have to do on top of education, on top of you know, providing great service and great advice to your clients. So you know, there's plenty of challenges for the new year, but what we'll move on to um, what we think the opportunities are in a moment. Many of these challenges actually create opportunity, which is one of the, the, the wonderful things of being in a crisis, is that for those who come out of it and for those who are prepared to stay the course, um, they do create many opportunities. So, Rob, what do you think are, are some of the opportunities? Yeah, definitely, uh, for Eugene. Um, you're right. The challenges create so many opportunities. I mean, sadly, as we mentioned, the advisors are leaving the industry. Um, but for those that are left, such as us, I mean, it's the future looks exciting. I mean, in, we're going to have a much smaller pool of advisors to choose from, theoretically meaning that we can probably focus more on clients that suit our practices instead of just taking everyone. And, you know, it, it, it'll enable um, us to look at, you know, articulating the value of our advice and attract the clients um, that need it. They're, apparently, the um, Musical Chairs Core Data Quarter 3 2020 report, which you can Google, says that four out of 10 Australians will be seeking advice in the next 12 months. Um, one in five of those is a direct result of COVID. So um, some of those opportunities may be small. It may be accessing their super because they're not working. Um, but some of those opportunities may be massive. You know, you could have clients that have got a healthy super balance that have, have never actually looked at advisors before and you, you're going to be able to take advantage of that, as I said, because there's a smaller um, pool of advisors from them to choose from. Absolutely. You know, four out of 10 Australians, that's 40%. That's more than twice the number of Australians that, that, that currently have an advisor or, or, or have advice. So that's a massive number, and that, that shows that demand for advice is going up. Mm. Sadly, because of a lot of the challenges that we mentioned and many other factors, many of these people will be priced out. But sure. creates a massive opportunity for those advisors that are, continue in the industry. Yeah. And, and, and this basically creates a supply and demand imbalance in favour of advisors. Agreed. The only yeah. other thing I wanted to mention on that too, which is with the smaller pool of advisors, the other thing is... Um, I guess what we're doing as an industry is we're becoming more professional. So, you know, as accountants are usually rated as, you know, one of the most trusted, um, I guess, professionals when it comes to clients, um, bringing in, sadly, which has caused some of the advisors to exit, the new advisors are going to be, I guess, more highly qualified, hopefully greater skilled, I mean, depending on not experience, but um, it's going to put us in a more favourable light when it comes to the public. So I think that's going to increase demand for us again. It will, 100%. There, there will certainly be the, the increase in professional standards and education will make people want to seek advice, will make more people want to seek advice. And that's, that's great for the industry. I suppose what offsets that is the fact that it will also mean that practitioners will want to charge more, yeah. like the accountants and lawyers and doctors. So 
you know, it makes it all more expensive. But for the advisors, it's fantastic. It's great mm. news. Mm. And it probably leads into another point, which is while the cost of advice is under scrutiny and, you know, ASIC and government are looking at ways to reduce advice, you probably have no choice but to increase your fees. You know, most advisors are doing that. Practitioners in any field that have a, a higher level of education generally expect to be paid more and mm-hmm. generally are paid more. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, moving into a more user pays type environment after we've gotten rid of a lot of the funding mechanisms such as commissions mm-hmm. that have kept the cost to consumers down, it basically means you've got to increase your fees. And, Agreed. And you've probably also got to be more selective of clients that um, you take on and how you charge. And you've got to start segmenting. And you've got, to, you've got to just make sure that, you know, you've got the financial capacity within your business to meet all your legal requirements. Mm. So, you know, it's an opportunity because it basically means you you can be a little bit more selective, as you've said, Robert, mm-hmm. about who you take on, but you can also charge a bit more because that's what everybody has to do. Agreed. And everybody yeah. knows the professional standards. And, and when I say everybody, I'm talking about consumers. Yeah. They know about the Royal Commission. They know compliance has gone up. They know that you're required to do more study. You've certainly got an opportunity there to increase your fees. Agreed. I, I think it's the... I think it's the same thing over a, a bunch of different um, industries, to be honest. You know, you can go to a doctor or you can Google. I mean, you get what you pay for sometimes. So people will go to an accountant or they'll go to an H&R block for 70 bucks and do their tax return. Yeah. It's what they see value in. If someone wants to recognize the years and years of study that you've done and the experience you've got when building a diversified portfolio, that's something to pay for. If people don't appreciate that, they're going to go to Australian Super and get it balanced. Yeah. Fund. So. And it's a great opportunity to actually take some time and reshape your business model. Have a look at the cost per client. Have a look at how much time you spend. A lot of advisors don't spend that time because of the fact that you know the industry is, is coming out of a regime of being much less user paid. A lot of different income streams there. Agreed. Now you're sort of forced to have a look at it all. So take this opportunity to do that. And the other thing that you should look at as a way of offsetting some of those increasing costs due to compliance changes and regulatory change is technology. You know, there's an enormous, there's an explosion almost of, of different technologies out there in the financial planning space. A lot of them still have a long way to develop, but you can, by finding the right technologies out there, that suit the sort of advice you give and the way you deliver advice and, and the way you run your business can really reduce the workload, can improve the delivery of advice experience for your clients. And can also, there's a lot of good technology out there that also help you to highlight the value that you're adding. I don't think as a, as a, as a community, we're very good at expressing and highlighting the value that we add. And often when you look at it in those terms, clients will generally pay where they've got the capacity to pay. Yeah, great. And I think, um, I mean, even at our last conference that we had earlier this year, just before COVID, I mean, I saw um, a lot of software that available to advisors that, that is, you know, becoming really, really good. I mean, there's a lot of CRM systems or, you know, that you can that, that are put in place where you can actually put in all the client's data, the portfolio, and you can actually reverse fact find like a lot of that information to save a lot of time. You're missing a lot of steps that you used to have to take pre-technology increases. And yeah, they're becoming really good and you can actually take that and build an SOA from that. So yeah, there's a lot of good technology that's coming in that'll help us you know, save a lot of time. Absolutely, do your due diligence because there's a lot of good technology out there, but there's also a lot of technology that's not quite there yet. You know, so speak to, speak to people who know, speak to your licensee 
uh, your practice manager, they've generally got a really good grasp on, on what's out there and, and what's what's workable. Uh, and more imp- most importantly, what would suit your particular business. And look, the, the other thing that is kind of exciting that's come out of COVID is COVID has forced us to do things differently. It's forced us to learn how to work remotely, how to service clients remotely, perhaps how to spend 24-7 with our families for some people. <laughs> so, you know, look at ways that you can uh, implement some of these things permanently. You don't want to go, I, I think, face-to-face engagement with clients and, and other professionals is very important. But I think, you know, perhaps balancing that out with doing some things remotely, getting information out to people quickly and efficiently is really important, particularly if you've got people in regional areas. I know that as a licensee, we've sort of made the decision to do at least one, possibly two of our four annual PD days remotely because we've had great feedback from advisors that they love the the, the networking and the face-to-face professional development experience, but they also love to be able to do it from their office and and, and get some really good training uh, without having to travel and and in some cases, you know, stay overnight. So really, and, and, and it's also forced us to get to know, you know, different technologies that help us do that. So, you know, don't just put that back in the cupboard once everything opens up. Look at how you can uh, improve the efficiency and, and the service delivery of your business by implementing some of these things on, a, on an ongoing basis. Mm. Yeah, no, agreed. I think there's, um, I mean, the, I was reading um, only a few months ago that the banks have been looking at trialing this for a long, long time, but the cost of the trial was going to be massive. So COVID kind of forced that on them. And, you know, there's going to be whole floors of buildings that just will not be leased again. Yeah. They're going to have people working and a set number of days. My, my, my brother-in-law, for example, he works for part of a futures company and they didn't renew their lease. You're right. So they've, they've sent all their workers home because they don't need to be there. Yeah. And I, mean, I think we're going to find that with clients that instead of clients, depending on where they come, like, you know, I've got clients that are in the Central Coast, I've got clients in the Blue Mountains, Will they necessarily, you know, sometimes I want to come because you, you, you do get that extra with the face-to-face. But there's going to be certain times, you know, that they think, well, we can just do this review over the phone. Or, or maybe instead of phone calls, we might do a, a face-to-face Zoom and make it more personable. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, I think sometimes we underestimate the elderly. Yeah. I'm amazed at how many really elderly people have taken to Zoom and the like yeah. really well. Yeah, agreed. Good. Look, I think we've... We've covered a lot in this. Thanks for your input, Robert. I think that's been really useful. And to everybody listening in, the most important thing is to reflect on 2020 and to use some of the the challenges that you've had to help you improve and shape, you know, 2021 and beyond. And on behalf of Lifespan, thanks again for tuning into Lifespan Live. And I look forward to speaking to you and others again. Thank you.